from the Sports and Recreation Center on the campus of the College of Staten Island. It's time for the Dolphin Pod, the official College of Staten Island Athletics podcast. With your hosts, David Pizzuto. Smith with a wide open Palinkovic to her left. Palinkovic one-on-one against Mike Camp and it's in. Versada Palinkovic from Narmina Brachic all sprung off the little tap in the backfield by Laval. A great one, two, three punch for the Dolphins, and they're up one nothing. And Joseph Foreman. And the 2-2 is hit out to left center. And if that one gets to the wall, this game could be over. Cutting it off is Windsor. It gets away from him. Here comes Miola. The relay throw to the plate. Not in time. And the Dolphins win it in the bottom half of the ninth inning. A walk-off RBI double off the bat of John Pomerico. And the Dolphins win it 2-1. to one. In-depth stories, reviews, and previews, interviews, and so much more. It's all right here. And now, for the Dolphin Pod, here are your hosts, Dave and Joe. And welcome to the Dolphin Pod, right here on CSIDolphins.com. It is episode number seven here on Friday, December 20th of 2019, premiering uh, right here live from the CSI Uh, Sports and Recreation Center. I'm David Pizzuto alongside Joe Foreman. Joe, we have a great show lined up for for you today. Not much in the way of what happened the week ago because we were all of the CSI teams were idle. We only have a couple of basketball games on the docket coming up next week that you'll, uh, you know, get to in our weekly preview. But uh, today we're really going to concentrate and focus on former CSI head men's basketball coach Tony Patoza and the upcoming CSI Tournament of Heroes. Plenty to be excited about the Tournament of Heroes coming up one week from today. We'll speak more about the matchups in just a few minutes, but I know we'll talk to Tony about how much the tournament means to him, what it's meant to the College of Staten Island community, and the culture of the CSI basketball program, the community coming together to make it possible. Plenty to talk about regarding the tournament more than just the basketball matchups on the court. Yeah, obviously with with the um, holiday season, uh, you know, in you know, fully upon us, uh, you know, next week with the Christmas holiday and New Year's following that, um, you know, school is over, Joe. Finals are today's the final day of finals here at, at CSI. And, um, you know, we really go into a lull until tournament time. And uh, we were you know, really happy to have Tony waiting for us uh, on the flip side of this and, and ready to talk to us about what's become a, a real institution here at CSI Tournament of Heroes. So why don't we focus more on that? Let's take a look at our weekly preview coming up. The Dolphin Pod now brings you what's on tap at CSI with the weekly preview. Get in the game. Here's what's happening. The only event on the docket in the upcoming week will be CSI's 18th annual Tournament of Heroes. On day one of the tournament, Bridgewater will take on Wheaton in the early game. Scheduled tip-off of that game one is at 5.30 p.m. And then approximately 7.30 p.m. following that game and following the Tournament of Heroes pregame ceremony, the Dolphins will take on Curry College in the nightcap. Again, tip-off for that game set at approximately 7.30 p.m. The following day on Saturday, December 28th, the losers of the day one games will play in the early matchup at 1 p.m. Again, that's Saturday, December 28th at 1 p.m. And if you're a fan of the Dolphins, you hope to see them in the 3 p.m. matchup at the Tank, taking on either Bridgewater or Wheaton, assuming, of course, that they have defeated Curry College on day one. That 3 p.m. game will be the Tournament of Heroes Championship played here at the Tank. Again, the Tournament of Heroes, a two-day event beginning Friday, December 27th, one week from today, day two, one week from tomorrow, Saturday, December 28th. And 
that's all that's on the docket this upcoming week. That's right. Women's basketball idle this week, this next week's men's and women's swimming and track and field uh, as well. Not till after the new year do those uh, teams all get back uh, underway. And, you know, Joe, we should mention that the Tournament of Hero honors uh, three fallen CSI Dolphins who died at the World Trade Center on September 11, 2001. Uh, Thomas Hannafin was a former teammate of Coach Patoza's uh, in the early 80s. Um, Scott Davidson was part of uh, Tony's first ever team that he was the head coach for. He was a senior during the 1989-90 season. And then Terrence Aiken was a one-year uh, transfer uh, student uh, on a great uh, team that the Dolphins had in the mid-90s that went to the national championship tournament. Um, and actually, I think it earned a first-round buy in that tournament as well. Uh, outstanding player. Um, you know, three just outstanding human beings, obviously, Tommy and Scott, um, you know, matriculating into the FDNY after graduation and, and perishing, uh, you know, as part of their their units there. Uh, and Terry was a worker in World Trade Center Tower One for Vital Computer Technologies. And, you know, it's it's I know you've been a part of the tournament for a few years now, Joe. I've obviously been a part of it um, for a while as well. And the chance to honor those three, along with so many others uh, locally and, of course, regionally that that gave their lives on September 11th is a very touching experience for us here at the college. And we get treated to some great basketball along the way. Definitely is a touching experience. And I've had the privilege of passing along the stories of Scott, Tom, and Terry on public address. So beautifully scripted by yourself, but I've had the privilege of passing along those stories to those in attendance. And I feel as if I have a much bigger glimpse into their personal stories as well. And I know that's something we'll talk about a bit more with Tony later in the show, but it's always a tremendous event. I mentioned the quality of the basketball and of course the emotional gravity of the event, a sobering event once a year that we hold here at the College of Staten Island. It's a good reminder of what a great community this is and great basketball also doesn't hurt. Yeah. And I know a lot of former, um, you know, CSI men's basketball players are going to be listening to this, um, you know, podcast because, um, you know, Tony Patoza will be joining us on the flip side of the break. And, you know, what we usually do, too, is after the first night's uh, competition, the, the second game, we invite the alumni, we invite, you know, recruits who might be around, um, obviously the, the, uh, the families of those that we honor to a post-game reception that occurs in the auxiliary gym. It's always a nice chance to kind of catch up with with uh, our extended CSI basketball family. So it's a, it's a time not only for great basketball and also to honor, um, you know, these three fallen heroes, but also to kind of um, extended embrace to all of our extended family in CSI. Certainly is. And once again, CSI going above and beyond with that post-game reception. And as a staff member on the game day staff, not necessarily too familiar with everyone there, having only been here a short time, four years, I can say that's been a great event, getting to know people. And we're very well fed as well. There's a lot of food out there <laughs> on top of it. And you know, Dave, how much I can eat. So it's something that I've always looked forward to, not only in the respect of eating, of course, but in respect <laughs> of getting to know everyone and catching up with people and getting to know people I don't necessarily have that relationship with yet. And that's sure. another opportunity I'll take this year as well. But the Tournament of Heroes at great event in so many ways plenty to look forward to yeah i think we've uh you know we've we've anticipated it and uh and it's finally coming you know finally coming together next weekend of course we'll tip it up but before all that we will have a chance to sit down with the man who originated the tournament of heroes it's former head coach tony patoza he will join us on the dolphin pod coming up next we'll take a break get him in studio and get him ready to go right here on the dolphin pod it's episode seven here on friday december 20th stay with us You're listening to the Dolphin Pod right here on CSIDolphins.com. 
champions know how to seize opportunities. When they see moments of greatness unfold right before their eyes, they push as hard as they possibly can. And then they push harder because the heart of a champion never settles, never quits, and never stops giving its all. We are champions. We are Division II. We go big, we give it everything we've got, and we win on the field, on our campuses, in our communities, for our causes, in our careers. We rise to become champions in everything we do. We are Division II and there are no limits here. We make our time count. We set our own path. We become champions on our terms. It's time to up your game because we're here to play and learn. But most importantly, we're here to discover ourselves, our vision, our heart, our drive to achieve every goal we aim for because we want to be champions at the highest level, life. At Division II, the opportunities are here. Are you ready? Welcome back to the Dolphin Pod right here on CSIDolphins.com. And welcome back to the Dolphin Pod right here on CSIDolphins.com. We are uh, premiering our show this week on Friday, December 20th of 2019, one week away from CSI Men's Basketball's Tournament of Heroes, uh, a tournament that was um, devised and obviously implemented by former CSI Men's Basketball coach Tony Petoza, who's been nice enough to join us on the podcast this afternoon. Uh, Tony, thanks for being a part of this. Uh, thank you very much for inviting me back. Excellent. So uh, it's always great to see you, Tony. You know, we've obviously known each other for uh, a long time and, and you know, most of that time has been centered around the men's basketball program here at here at CSI. You know, you've been a, a few years removed from it now, but you've remained close, especially through the Tournament of Heroes. Tell me a little bit about what it's been like these last couple of years now working continuing to work with the program on a tournament like this. Well, listen, I, I mean, it's it, it's just something that I really feel is very important not not just for the program more so for me um i want to keep it going as as long as i possibly can or, or help um obviously the longer i'm away the less i'm going to be involved with it because i do think it's i'm a little limited in what i can and can't do obviously because i, I don't i can't make anybody do anything <laughs> <laughs> um but with that being said um I appreciate the support that I get from the from the athletic department and from and from Tommy Tibbs because you can't you can't do this without the head coach being involved. Yeah, and it's it's obvious to me, and and obviously speaking with with Coach Tibbs and and with Charles of of the you know incredible amount of you know influence you still have over the program and how the program runs and kind of the way the mentality that surrounds the program because it came from such a place of of you know moral high ground and discipline and and the culture of good character and you know when when you hear things like that how does it make you feel to know that you've put and you were a huge part of putting that stamp on the program the way it is now well i mean i i honestly feel that I, I, it's a continuation of where i where i was from you know i i i, I you know i'm always going to talk about this place as as family um, and that comes from my my former head coaches, uh, Tommy Keenan, uh, Evan Pickman, and from the other other people that were that worked here, such as Howie Rupert, who I worked for, um, and Ira Sweet, uh, very very influential. Uh, and, and you know what? 
more so be, because of how they dealt with me as a person off the court as opposed to even on the court. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I just think it's, it's, uh, you want, you want the kids to who come through those doors to, to want to come back. And how close of an eye do you still keep on the program? Dave just mentioned your influence over the culture of the program, but how closely do you still follow CSI Dolphins men's I, I, basketball? I'll, you know, it's, it's, I'll be honest with you. Um, the last couple of years I have followed, um, it's still very hard for me to watch games. I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Um, because I, I miss it immense, immensely. I miss it. Um, I miss the, I miss the whole basketball part of it. Uh, I miss being around the kids. Um, I, I miss the, the involvement that I have with, with the people in the building. Uh, a lot of my friends who, who are coaches here and former coaches here, I, I still, I hold in very high regard. I, I really do because to put the time in that all these people have put in the coaches, the administration, the kids, we get nothing. We really, you, you get nothing for doing this. Um, and, 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 you know, okay. So I was on salary. Um, the kid at McDonald's would, would laugh at me if you know how much I made per hour compared to what they make. <laughs> And you mentioned the family culture that's around the team. And I've spoken to several players this year and to coaches. And I went on the trip to Florida with the team to open the season. And that's something that's apparent around this team, the family bond between the players and the coaches. How how did you build that culture and go about establishing that with the team when you were coach? You know what? I I don't know. I I think it just happens. You know, there are some kids that are really easy to get along with. Um, I I will say one thing that I try to do for the most part, and you can't always do it because when – as a head coach, obviously the first thing you want to do is you want to win. You want to win games, but you want to try to win games the right way. Um, and I use that term a lot. I don't know what it really means, but I, I you do want to win, win the right way with, with the right type of kids. And I think that really comes from the families. And when I recruited kids, I tried to recruit the families as much as possible. Not always possible. Sometimes you barely met the parents. But for the most part, the kids that played for, for me – uh, were kids that I went into their houses and I sat with their parents and I, and I tried to explain to them, this is what I want to try to do with your son. Here's where I think he can be. Um, I can't guarantee anything. Uh, and that's one thing I, 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 I look back on my career. It's the one thing I never, ever did. I never guaranteed a kid that he was going to get playing time. I guaranteed them that I want you to be a player. I want you to be good, but I'm not going to guarantee you playing time because honestly, you might walk into my building and have the worst attitude in the world. And I, I won't know that until you're here a few, maybe even a few years. Yeah. And that's one of the things that, you know, I kind of see in the, in, in the kids that played for you and that I'm still, you know, pretty close with. And I talk to a lot. And the, the one thing that they'll say is they, they'll, they'll tell me one of the reasons why they respect you so much is because of that kind of level um, way that you treated them from the very first moment to know that, you wanted to give them an education in basketball and not just wanted to see them perform. Um, you know, so, so that's a really big part of the people who took a lot away from your coaching, really recognize that influence that you had on them, making them better ball players. And maybe they weren't even elite players when they left, but they were so much better for the four years of experience and, and the education that you were able to give them. And obviously when you add someone like the late coach white, you know, being side by side with you for a lot of those years, that's what a lot of kids got out of your program. No, listen, and, and you know what? It, it's not just, I wish I could say it was all me. <laughs> it's all me. <laughs> um, but you know what? I'm also very fortunate. I always say this, and, and sometimes I embarrass myself when I, when I do this, but I used to go to a ton of clinics, and, and still the one clinic that stood out the most for just one line was Gino Oriema um, happened to say, the most important thing is you have to have assistance 
that are better than you, work harder than you, and smarter than you. And I'm very fortunate. Like Maddie, Maddie, you know, I mean, Dave, you know how close I was mm-hmm. and how much I respect and in some ways honor uh, Maddie on a day-to-day basis. But I've had a number of assistant coaches here, and I don't by a number, I don't mean two or three, I mean seven, eight, who gave me, whether it's two years or four years or eight years, just so loyal. And when you have that loyalty, that means a lot because I'll tell you what, especially in this profession, there are a lot of guys out there that are not like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's obviously, you know, it, it, again, that too has left its mark on the program where we see that more and more now with our with our teams is, you know, the, the dependence on assistant coaches and, yep. and mentoring and nurturing those assistant coaches so that the next step for them is to at some point get their own programs. And that's ultimately where we want. I want to back up even further to when you were an athlete here because, you know, your coaching career was so vast and um, so prolific that it kind of overshadows what you did as a player, which was, you know, in one word, sensational. I mean, you really redefined uh, what it was like to be a four-year standout player here, a uh, graduate of Monsignor Farrell, uh, monster on the boards, great scorer, uh, championship caliber teams, great character teams, great coach teams. What do those four years as a player do for you to make you know and understand and appreciate the game uh, enough to make you the kind of coach that you became? Well, you, you know what? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's uh, I believed when I got here that I was going to be a superstar, not didn't happen. Um, I, I was a role player, and the one thing, and 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 I mean this, and for anybody who's who's going to be a player at any point in time, you can have an impact without being a superstar. Um, and I was okay with that. I was actually glad that I could actually. I mean, I did get a lot of playing time, but I was actually glad that I was able to help our teams succeed. And I was on some pretty good teams um, from my freshman year right away. We were we were competitive. My sophomore year, we were very good. My junior year, maybe not as good. In my senior year, I actually thought it was the best team that we had here. Um, and unfortunately, we didn't get a shot at the NCAAs because we, there were only t- uh, 32 teams that made it at that point mm-hmm. in time. And we were, we were very good. Um, we actually went undefeated in the CUNY that year also. Um, it, it's all the time that you put into it. You, I'm fortunate that I got so much back from it. And I got it back because I, I, I – came in every day, did what was asked of me, um, and really respected my, my players, uh, really respected my teammates, respected my assistants. My, you know, it's, I, I just feel that no matter what age I am, I, I can always learn from somebody. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I sit down and talk about anything, basketball, um, I have my opinions, but my opinions are just my opinions. They don't mean they're right. It's just how I feel. Mm-hmm. And Dave mentioned some of your own individual accolades here as a student athlete. But Coach Tibbs, when he's looking for student athletes to join his team, sometimes he uses the phrase, not for everyone. He has that printed on T-shirts that we see the players wearing. And you mentioned how players are promised nothing. As a player, what kind of teammates did you look for on your team that you gelled very well with and fit the culture of the team? As recruiting takes center stage in Division Two now, that's something that Coach Tibbs be looking to fill roles and players on the team. What did you look for in your teammates when you played? Well, listen, honestly, it's not what I look for. It's different when you're a player than when you're a coach it's 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 it way different because when you're a player you once you walk on the court you think about your teammates but before when you're not on the court with them it's all about development and in order to, to make your team better uh you have to get better and and one of my my favorite logos or sl- slogans i guess it would be is from from september to march 
we get better. From March to September, I get better. And unfortunately, a lot of kids now, you especially, uh, you know, you guys probably watch a lot of basketball and stuff like that. I watch a lot of NBA. I watch, watch a lot of college, but not as much as when I was younger, because honestly, it's not good. It's not good. What you see is a lot of individual ability and you look at guys and like, oh my God, he can do this. He can do that. He can do this. But what he can't do is he can't pass. He can't dribble. He doesn't pass the ball to an open man when he should. He doesn't advance the ball when he should. It's advanced on the dribble. And all that is because I think that kids are very self-indulgent in some way. So it's hard to find kids that aren't. And you have to watch kids very carefully when you recruit them to see if you think they, they are willing to share the ball with their teammates. But Unfortunately, talent does matter. So when you shifted from playing to coaching, how drastic was that shift in perspective? You just described some of it, but going from <laughs> the perspective of what you look for in teammates then to what you look for in a player when you were a coach, how quickly did that change oh take my place? God, so fast. I mean, first of all, I used to do demonstrations as a player because I was like, well, you got to do this. What is wrong with you? Why aren't you doing it this way? And just their overall emphasis and, and passion sometimes wasn't there. And you know what? I, I do think what's hard for especially superstars, um, and I, please me, I don't put myself in that category, but for those guys who, who are born with gifts, the reason why they don't become great coaches is because they didn't put the time and effort that some guys who did put the time and effort on. I mean, to be able from a guy like myself to be able to get off a jump shot might not be so easy against somebody my height who's really athletic because I wasn't athletic. So those are things I had to work on. So you have to convince guys this is going to make you better and you have to do it not just every day, but you have to do it every day with a little bit of energy. You can't just go through the motions. And it's very hard to explain that to kids, especially because they think they're great until they, they leave Staten Island or until they leave New York or until they leave, you know, and they go other areas of the country. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Joe's question is a, is, is a good one because it takes you from that transition from player to coach. And then, you know, having spoken to you many times, Tony, I kind of, you know, uh, know the backstory and we've talked about this. So I have almost like a pre-interview with you already set up. But I knew that, you know, you were an assistant for a number of years. And then when you were offered the head coaching job at first at CSI, you turned it down or you weren't ready for it. And it took, you know, three or four weeks of a gap. And, uh, you know, until that kind of light bulb went off that convinced yourself that you were ready. Right. And thankfully the position was still open at that time. And we all know what happened and right. you know, what, what history has to say from there. But there was that pause um, between assistant and head coach for you because you knew it was going to be such a big jump. Tell us about what was in your head at that time. Well, when I was offered for originally offered the position, I, I felt like um, I, first of all, I was young. I really still wanted to continue playing. And I, I knew that once I coached, I wasn't going to be able to go down to the schoolyard and shoot around anymore. That wasn't going to happen um, because you just don't have time to do it. And I, and I knew that the amount of recruiting that I was going to have to do was going to be a lot. And this is coming from somebody who really just originally recruited just Staten Island because it was hard to get kids to come from, from off the island. The issue with the Verrazano, the buses weren't running the way they, say they were like 10 years later. So I just really recruited Staten Island and I was still out almost every night. Um, I, I was a regular at every single game. Um, so, and I also didn't think, um, in terms of knowledge that was really near where I needed to be to build a program. I thought 
I understood the game and, and I do feel I, I did understand the game, but understanding and being able to, to put something down and create something is two totally different things. You know, there are people who are artists and then there are people who are painters. There's a, there's a difference. Mm. You know, you have to be able to put it all together. And, and I didn't know if I was going to be able to do that. So it took a little bit, not, not a lot of convincing because I think, you know, everybody wants to be the guy. Um, it took a little bit of convincing from Howie Rupert to say, listen, Tony, you really should take the job. Mm. Yeah. And, you know, your first three years uh, as a coach were losing seasons. And, you know, you you know, you've been on record to say that. Yeah. I mean, at that point, you were kind of learning who you were as a coach as well. And you were operating by, you know, other standards that the program already had. And it took a, a little while for you to kind of develop your own rubric for success. So, you know, what was that rubric? How did how did it go from being, you know, uh, a struggling program to now a prolific one under, you know, what had to change in you to make that happen? Um, you know what? I, I the one thing and I, I, I'm probably going to speak about this multiple times the rest of my life. The, the one thing that I do think that I was very good about is I, I listen to people. I, I do. I listen to people and I don't always agree with them, um, but I listen. And I had an assistant coach at the time who I was 26, I think, or 25. He was 50, mm. who wanted to give me information and, and knowledge. And I listened to everything that he said. And I agreed with at least my first 10 years, 95% of it, and maybe the next seven years, 90% of it. Mm. So I, I, I gr listened to everything that he had to say. And when I brought assistant coaches in, I listened to what I had to say. And I tried to determine whether or not that's something that's going to work with us. So number one, I had to grow as a coach, number one. Number two, I felt I, I part of it was I had to separate myself a little bit from some of the kids that were a little bit younger than me because at the, at the time I had some kids that were five to seven years younger. And it's a little bit harder to coach those guys because they still look at you as a player and not mm -hmm. as a coach. Um, and then I had to become better basketball-wise. And we, my first three years, Maddie, myself, would watch a lot of videos and we would throw most of them out. Um, and then there'd be one or two that would be like, you know what, we could fit this into what we're doing. And in order to do that, I had to figure out what we were doing. So one of the things I used to do is met, uh, Coach Pickman, who mm -hmm. I know you guys are familiar with. Um, every year at the end of the season, I would go out to, to lunch with him or dinner. He would make me pay, of course. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we would sit and we would talk and we would talk basketball. And in one of those dinners, he asked me just really one, one question, which I think made a big, big difference in, in my career. He goes, what do you want to be recognized as, as a team? What do you want your personality? What do you, what do you want to be recognized as? And I, at the time we were scoring a ton of points, but couldn't stop anybody. I said, I really want to be the best defensive team in the area. And he said, well, then that's what you have to commit to. And that's what you have to start working on. That's what you have to get improve on. And that's what we did. We found one or two tapes, um, specifically a gentleman by the name of Dick Bennett, whose son um, is now at Arizona. Shoot, I got confused. I you might want to blank that out. <laughs> oh, I should know that. Um, who was a defensive tape. And I watched it. Didn't think it wasn't impressed by it at all. Gave it to my assistant coach, Maddie. He watched it, told me, Tony, I know it's hard to get through because it wasn't the most exciting thing to watch, but watch it again and just try to do it in parts. Don't try to sit at all one time. So I sat down and watched it again. And when I left, I walked away from it and said, you know what? He's right. Mm -hmm. There are things in here that we could really use. I just have to adjust them to what we want to do. 
and in the next the next year, to be honest with you, was really the year that um, we went to the nationals. So we had implemented it at the beginning of the year, and it really had an impact on how we played defensively. And I was surprised because it not only helped us so much defensively, it helped us on the offensive end. We didn't score as many points, but we, we were more efficient. You, and I think you just detailed some of it, but those who are more familiar with professional game and coaching and let's say the NBA, those head coaches aren't typically as involved in building the team. You have an entire front office, a president, a GM who do that. But at the college level, you're a big part of that front office per se that builds the team. So what was that process like? And you just mentioned some of it, establishing that personality and building the team that you were looking to build and the program you're looking to build. Well, you know, you know what? You have a lot of, lot of control um, as long as you're doing well. I guess if you're not doing well, you kind of lose that control. But I think it really starts from once you figure out what you want to do, you got to find the best kid you can find. And you want talent, number one. Um, and, um, you know, you always you have to have talent to win. But I do think you want to recruit and you want to recruit the, the parents. I, I really think that makes a difference. Because if you have the support of the parents, it makes things so much easier. Um, I have a kid, I, I won't mention any names, but I have a kid that I know how much his father liked me, that when things weren't going well for his son, his son hung in there, not because he liked me, but because his father said, listen, you can do this. You can do this. You, you, you can fit into you. you, you it'll work out for you. There are a lot of parents who be in that kid's ear and say, oh, that guy stinks. Oh, you shouldn't be playing for him. You should leave. You should. And before you know it, you have a kid who's a freshman, leaves your program, goes to another program. He doesn't even make the team because he, because he doesn't realize. And what are some of the biggest lessons? I know it's hard to narrow it down to just a few, but some of the biggest lessons you've taken from mentors or even from your playing career that you apply to your career as a coach? Um, you know what? There are so many. I, if I say one today, tomorrow, I'll, I'll give you a different one. Um, I, I do think the, the most important thing, number one, is to show up every day. Um, it's, it's uh, again, it, maybe as I've gotten older, I've always been called old school. Even when I was 27, people said I was old school. I, I don't know if I'm old school, but... Um, you can't succeed unless you show up. Um, and once you, you show up, try to take pleasure in what you're doing because it's hard. It, it's hard to, to, to do anything every single day, no matter what it is. Um, I eat peanut butter and jelly every morning except Sundays. Some days it's, <laughs> some days it's hard to eat that peanut butter and jelly sandwich. But you know what? It's, it's a routine that I got into. It's, it's what works, works for me. So if you're struggling with something, try to find something that's, that's going to work for you and, and just do it. You know, I, it's one of, it's my favorite logo. It's the best logo of all time. Just do it. You know, it, it, it says it all. Do you really eat peanut butter and jelly every morning? Every morning. Yeah. So, every yeah. Morning. so I know you for 25 years and I've never known that. So yes. every, every time I sit down with you and talk to you, I learn something new about and, it. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, <laughs> what's even more impressive is it's strawberry preserves from Costco. In, wow. um, this is a plug. It, it's <laughs> absolutely the best. I make the best peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> The Dolphin Pod, sponsored by Costco. <laughs> uh, no, that you know that's that's great, and you know it, it it actually segues into into you know kind of a tougher question for me, Tony, because you know when you announced your your resignation from from CSI, um, there was um, you know obviously there was a little bit of of surprise, but there was a lot of there was a lot of sadness on my part. I felt like you know there was this is a person who's who I kind of consider. Um, a, a work family member who's who's leaving, and it it always comes with a little sadness. And I know that that decision, as much as I love where our men's program is now, and I love our current coaching staff, I love our players. 
um, you know, there was that feeling of loss. And I know that as much um, time as you put into making that decision, I know that you being at CSI for far longer than I was at CSI or I've been at CSI, I know that the decision must have come with a little sadness and a little, a you lot. know, yeah. So can you put me into your mind about the, the, the days leading up to making the decision? Because obviously it was on your mind far uh, you know, far more in advance than when we got the news. I'll be honest with you. It, it was a five-year decision. Mm-hmm. It really, it really uh, uh, took me about five years to step away. Um, and, and I still sometimes regret the decision. Um, but I also know that the day I told my assistants before I, I spoke with Charles, um, I told them, I told them I was leaning in that direction. And I was like, listen, the thing that I think affects, impacts me the most is I know if I walk away that I may never, ever get a job again i know that um but i also feel that for me it was the it was the best thing for me to do um and it wasn't it basically wasn't even it had nothing to do with csi it's one of the things i that i unfortunately i think came out a little harsh in the paper um it, it was an issue that i had a con- i had conflicts with myself towards the conference and i was very disappointed in the way the conference handled themselves and i still look at the conference and I'm very disappointed. And by a conference, I don't necessarily mean the individual teams. I just feel that there are things that could have been done so much better. Um, and the level could have been raised so much higher, but they weren't because of, of, I felt decisions that were made on person by personal gains. Hmm. And, you know, obviously since you've left, there's, Things have gotten so accelerated here at the college, and it had nothing to do with you stepping away. But the program. Well, thank went, you for throwing that in there. No, but, you know, <laughs> it, but the the actual position went from being part time to full time, and you know, maybe with your other with your other position in the board of ed, that might not have been possible for you, even if we did make that decision earlier. Um, obviously, the the school has moved to Division Two. It's now in a different in a different conference. So you know, there's definitely you know your efforts went into that decision and it's it's hard to kind of see that but the the efforts that were made by the coaching staff really set up all the groundwork for this to happen and you know i i oftentimes wonder if if you knew if you had the foresight to know where this was going if it would have impacted your decision well it, it, it's funny that you asked that i i, I it, i'm i'm a stam, 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 <laughs> stammering stuttering what did i say um i knew it was always possible Mm-hmm. Um, I just didn't know when it would t- happen. And I felt that when I made the decision that it would be, even if it was done the following year, it'd still be a three to five year decision. And and honestly, it's already almost four years mm-hmm. now. Yeah. So it, I would have had to get through four years and whether or not I, I would want to do that. I don't know if, how I would have felt about it. Um, I would have liked to have known, obviously, because maybe it would have impacted my decision. Maybe I would have tried to hang around and, and, and do it. But because the the thing is, though, if you're going to do it, you got to do it the right way. And to do it the right way is an enormous amount of time. Um, it's a, it's a sacrifice that it's not just your sacrifice. It's the sacrifice of your family. Mm-hmm. And that was going to have a big impact. And I know how I am when I when I decide the primary reason why I decided to is I knew I was going to retire from the Board of Ed the following year. And what I did not want to have happen was retire from both jobs at the same time, because then I think I would have jumped off a bridge. Mm. Um, it would have been going from 100 miles an hour, you know, 16, 18 hour days to sitting around the house trying to figure out which 
show am I watching? Am I watching uh, Ellen DeGeneres? Or am I gonna? <laughs> I can't even watch Oprah anymore because it's not, it's not there. But I just felt that for me that was the right decision at, at the time. And you spoke about it before how someone working at McDonald's might laugh at what you made here, yeah. but. What we do is very rewarding. I know Dave and I enjoyed a great deal in working with our student athletes and with the rest of the staff here is very rewarding to us. Looking back at your time here, what were some of the most rewarding aspects of your tenure here as uh, coach? Listen, again, I, I've made so many friends um, from from here, not just and it, players, um, people that are associates here, the former coaches, uh, athletic directors. Um, I, I really, it's it, I'm very fortunate in that regard. I mean. I could be a little difficult at times. I know that because I because it's it's not because I I intended to be difficult. It's just that I felt that I you put so much time into what you're doing, and you're asking kids to put so much time into what they're doing that you want to make sure you're doing it the right way for them. Um, I tried to convince one of the former vice presidents here that our kids should be treated as assets because of what they do for us for what the reputation that they bring us. At one time, it was my opinion that the kids generated more media attention than anybody on campus. It didn't matter what was going on. It was the athletic program that, that got the media attention. Um, it, it was the media program that made Staten Island, I mean, the, the, the basketball program that made Staten Island a special place because our basketball programs were good. Our baseball programs are good. Our soccer programs were good. So we were all positives coming out. And with that being said, very few negatives. Not many kids from, from the, the athletic programs here got into trouble. And that, that's a big deal. You know, one of my assistant coaches, we used to talk about his former school all the time. And he was upset because his former school, when kids were arrested on, on TV, they'd be wearing their jerseys. I mean, it's embarrassing. And he used to say, you know what? People don't know what the school's about. All they see is that logo, that sign when they're running down the street. And it's embarrassing to that program. So it, it means a lot to the school. And based on where you left off here at the College of Staten Island, what would be your pitch to a student coming here, perhaps considering joining us as Division II members? Now, you just mentioned it and touched on it regarding students as assets. And from my experience, I've seen the attention that their accolades and their performances generate just on social media and in the news. So I think that's something else that you touched on that I think is a big part of that as well. But what would be your pitch to them? You know what? I, I don't know because I, I'd have to be associated with the program, to be honest with you, because I don't know, you know, with the ins and outs. There, there are things here like I, I when, I, when I try to get involved with, with the tournament, there are limitations to my knowledge and I'm aware of that. So I ask and hopefully people can do what I, I ask them to do. And if not, I have to accept it as, okay, this isn't happening for us. Um, I just know that when I was here, I really felt that the availability to the facilities was, was really important because especially if you have dorms, that our kids who are athletes should have access to this like it's their own house. I mean, I could tell you stories about when I was back at, at the old campus. I used to be able to do anything I wanted to do because I treated everything with respect because I had access to things. And that was the access was granted to me by the coaches, the assistant coaches, and actually security guards too. I could tell you stories that probably would get security guards in trouble, but I won't, I won't do that. But um, I did. I was very fortunate because people knew that, you know what, Tony wants to go into the gym and wants to work out. There's nobody in there. Yeah. Let's bring down the rims. 
Yeah, that's a it's a, it's a really good point because it's its own community and it's yes. its own you know it's its own family that's that's involved here. You know, Tony, we've been talking already for a half hour, and this this interview I I'm sure could go two or three hours, and we'd have plenty to talk about. But we do want to shift the focus to the tournament of heroes because uh, that's the next thing on our athletics agenda. And when Joe and I have spoken about it online and offline, we always talk about you know the reasons why the tournament exists, and it's been a great tournament. It's a nationally recognized tournament. Um, and really, um, when people look at it now, they might not see the tie-ins with 9-11, but it's always at the forefront of our thoughts here. And, you know, when that happened, um, 9-11, obviously you lost a former teammate in, in Tom Hannafin and you lost two of your former pupils, one of which Scott was on your first ever team that you coached as a head coach. And Terry was a, uh, a, a one-year transfer for you that made the national, uh, tournament that year. So three very different kids from very different uh, times during your basketball career, but all of them with an overwhelming impact on on you as a coach, as a basketball player, and also just as a person because of how uh, connected you were to all three of them, even post-basketball. So can you tell us a little bit about the relationships that you forged with those three gentlemen and, you know, what that day and what those events kind of mean to you and, and, you know, the foundational thoughts about the tournament? Well, I mean, uh, it, the, the whole, the whole process, I guess, is all wrapped around the towers coming down and, and, uh, you know, anybody, especially who lived in the area, it was just devastating. Um, you know, you, you don't find out information about people, uh, until sometime, I, I guess two, maybe even three days later. And then all of a sudden, oh my God, they were there. And, and you know what, I, I think the one that surprised me the most, um, was Terrence's because I wasn't aware that Terrence had just gotten a job mm. in, in, um, in the towers. And so I, I had known about Scott and Tommy pretty quickly because obviously they're in the fire department and, mm. and their, their wives and their brothers and, and sisters. I'm, I'm very friendly with all of them. Um, but Terrence is, I think, the one that really shook me the most because it just came out of left field. I had no idea that he was in the building. Mm-hmm. Um, but with that being said, you, you get the news about other people in the same situation. I, I didn't know he was a fireman. I didn't know he was a police officer. I didn't know he worked for Cantor. I didn't know. It's just, I mean, I, and with, with all that being done, um, I'm getting a little teary-eyed now. Mm-hmm. Uh, with all that being done and all that being said, it, it's it's the families that that kills me. Yeah. You know, I, I, I know that in January of the following year, so two, uh, 2002, we did the tribute to heroes yep. night. Uh, it wasn't the tournament, but it was a night we played Baruch college. I remember. And I remember the weeks leading up to that singular game were weeks that were weighing very heavily on you because it was, you were putting yourself out there. It was a halftime, um, you know, kind of, um, inauguration of their jerseys being retired and uh, their families were there. There wasn't a dry eye in the house. I remember seeking a corner at some point during that halftime and just, you know, uh, unloading as well. It was a real trying time for us, but I remember it being really heavy on your shoulders because you accumulated a lot of responsibility for that night. And to see the reaction from the community, to know that we had a packed house here, you can hear a pin drop and the celebration of their legacy, but also the incredible sadness that was involved um, when, and then being down at halftime, I think by nine points and then the team just 
coming out in the second half and just destroying Baruch and, and winning that game going away. It, it was kind of like a fairy tale and set against the backdrop of just incredible sadness. What was that night like for you, the weeks leading up? And then, of course, seeing how it all went down. Um, first of all, I was so impressed with not just, I mean, not just the school and how we approached it. Um, cause I, and Dave, you know, you know how we, we talk a lot, so you know how I feel about you and, 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 and not just that night, but every night that you're here, um, it was done as professionally as it could be done for, for, for a school that's not professional, <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't think, um, but it was done as professionally as it could be done. Uh, the, the, the loving support of the people who came to the game, the families, um, it, it I'm I'm pretty comfortable with speaking in front of people, but to know that you're you're speaking to a group of people that want you to succeed is a lot different than speaking to a lot of people who don't really care. Right. And and I felt the support as soon as I got up to say something. Um, it it was not as hard to speak that day as it had been the three or four weeks leading up to that because my speech I practiced a lot at home on my own. Um, and the first couple of times I, I practiced it, I couldn't get through it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that night I, I felt I did a, a very solid job of not really, um, concentrating on the speech, but just concentrating on my feelings toward these kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the, the, the fans were amazing. Uh, the families were amazing and the respect, you could feel the love, and I'll tell you what, mm-hmm. it came from it came from the because at the time I don't know if you remember one of the kids on Baruch was, was killed in the towers mm-hmm. too, a former player, and them being there made it even that much better. Uh, Ray, who God bless his soul, who passed away a few years ago, uh, was was his gentleman, and mm-hmm. if I had to do it against anybody, uh, or had the support of somebody, it was awesome that he was sitting on the other bench, um, and just honestly. It was just one of those things, and the, and and that the way we won the game too. My kids had coming out of the locker room. Um, they saw how much those kids meant to us, and one of the kids said, "Coach, we're gonna do it," and that's really what it was. And when 9-11 happened back in 2001, I was only eight years old. So I was Shut up. fairly, <laughs> <laughs> I was eight years old, third grade. I was fairly sheltered from the events of the day. My father worked in New York City, was able to tell us about it. Yeah. Fortunately, it was on the other side of town. But again, as I said, I was very sheltered from those events. So I didn't have that experience with community as much as perhaps you did organizing events here. But in the face of tragedy, oftentimes people come together. And I think you touched upon yeah. that with Baruch being here and being a part of that event where I was such, I was a kid, I was coming here to see the Staten Island Yankees play right. when I was younger. I didn't have CSI men's basketball on the radar, but right. how prominent was that feeling of community and coming together of you and Baruch, for example, or just the community in general during that time? Uh, you know what? It, it, Staten Island was a very special place, but you know, it's, that's not Staten Island. It was really all New York. I, it, it, people were in so much pain that they had to continue, though. You have to continue. No matter what happens, you have to continue. Um, and if you have family and friends, it's so much easier because you know that they rely on you. And to pick you, to, to pick each other up, it was a beautiful thing to see. And they often say New Yorkers are some of the most resilient people on the planet. The country 
displayed ex- exceptional resilience Exception. during that time yes. as well. It wasn't just New York, of course. There were events in Washington yes. as well and in Pennsylvania. So a lot going on during that time. But since then, here at the College of Staten Island, we've had great yearly turnout for the Tournament of Heroes. Every year that I've been here, I think I've been here working the tournament since 2016. So this will be the fourth time that I've worked the tournament. And it keeps the stories of Scott, Tom, and Terry going. And people hear those stories every year where I feel like now I have a bigger glimpse into their lives and who they were and just a small sample of their story that I've read to the crowd. How important is it keeping those stories alive and sharing that with people who may not necessarily have known them? You know, I think it's, I think it's important and more so, listen, this could always be replaced maybe for us, but never for their families. And I do think even if the families don't come or if they can't make it, even though they've been pretty good about making to most of the games, um, I think they look forward to this moment. It's a it's a moment for them to honor their their fallen brothers. Um, it's a, an a, an event to honor your former, you know, not your former your 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 sons who you know. I, I have again, I have a lot of friends that they don't have this for their kids, but they have something. I don't know what it is that they have, but they have something. And there are days that they're just gonna think about their son or their daughter or their wife. And whatever it may be, it's nice to be able to reflect back and find happiness there. And I think that's what happens over time. Um, But obviously, by the way, I'm tearing up. There are still moments. And set against that backdrop, Tony, uh, you know, to to put it in a, you know, a more, I don't know, more happier light, I guess, is is the basketball has been pretty good, too. You know, the, the, uh, the teams that have come yes. up have been, you know, national caliber teams. You you kind of almost insisted uh, on that to the point where CSI had a really tough time winning one of these things. Yeah. It took us a really long time. But I think it speaks to, you know, not only the the part of the area that we're in and around the holidays, teams just naturally want to come and, and spend a week, uh, you know, a, a couple of days here or a weekend here, obviously visiting the memorial uh, as well. But the the caliber of basketball for this tournament has been one that's been on the national radar for a long time. It's one of those tournaments that gets circled on D3Hoops.com for many years as one to watch. So, you know, how does it make you feel not only that, you know, we're, we're doing something so honorable by by, you know, um, by capsulating September 11th and, of course, the story of these three young men, but also the fact that we're showcasing some really rich uh, basketball here at in tiny Staten Island. Well, there was no question that when I when I first decided to do it, you, you, if you're going to do it, you want to bring in the best teams. Um, you want to bring make fan interest and and listen, especially because of conference um, decisions. I really felt going at that point in time that we needed to bring ta- teams in because not only do we want to attract fans, but we also want to be able to say, hey, we can compete at the national level. Maybe not every year, but on a year-in, year-out year, maybe. I don't know. But at least we can be in the conversation. And when our first few years, we struggled with some of the teams that we hear. But that was okay because it helped us in the CUNY tournament. I felt that was that was a jumping-off point for the CUNY conference and the CUNY tournament. Because sometimes you think you're good, and then you realize, oh, maybe I'm not as good as I, I am or I thought I was, maybe I need to work a little bit harder. And I think it, it definitely helped us. And at some of those years, it actually changed our season around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I always looked at kind of these two games in the schedule as being, okay, now things get real. 
You know what I mean? Now it's it's time to really focus on getting better in time for the for the postseason. So no, it's a great it's a great um, you know it's a great point that you make about it. And the Tournament of Heroes is also also one in a line of uh, a few events that really tie in the the family component of basketball. Obviously, we now have the Maddie White Memorial uh, Alumni Game, a game where for the first time ever, I've actually seen you play and dribble and shoot a basketball. No, because, I didn't. I didn't shoot. <laughs> uh, well, that's true. That's true. I'm still waiting for your first. Yeah, shot. that's not happening. Um, but uh, but yeah, but but you know, again, it's a time for for the basketball um, family to get back together. Uh, we've honored several members uh, of the basketball teams um, in our Hall of Fame. Uh, a couple that you've coached, obviously John and and David Paul. That always turns out to be a nice kind of alumni reunion uh, event. And we have so many other uh, events that really incorporate that family uh, vibe. And you know, to me, in the men's basketball community, that's been the tightest family. So it's kind of nice to have all these programmatic breaks in the year to kind of continue to revisit men's basketball. You're a graduate of CSI. You're the all-time winningest coach at CSI. Um, you you obviously won numerous championships. You're you're in the Staten Island Hall of Fame. You'll be in the College of Staten Island Hall of Fame whenever whenever that uh, you know comes around. When you look back at your career at CSI, how proud of you to be a Dolphin and to claim this place as really, it, you know, you you have some ownership in it. It's kind of your place. How does it make you feel to be a part of that fabric? Well, you know, it's it's, it's a little convoluted sometimes. <laughs> uh, you know what? Because I again, I just I, I look at I look at this place and 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 a part of me it's it's hard for me to come back. I know that sounds a little silly, but it's hard for me to come back because I do miss it so much. Um, but it, this was my family. You know, I have my mom, my dad, and my sister, at, you know, uh, and and this was my other family. I got to go here. I'm down, and I'm telling you, you have no idea how much time I spent here when I was in school. No idea how much time I spent here when I was an assistant and as a, as a head coach. I spent summers here, sometimes by myself, sometimes mm-hmm. by myself with you in the, down the hall, mm-hmm. and there was nobody else here. Um, it, it's just one of those things that I felt that there's a there's a um, little solace in coming in, in, into this place. And, and you know what? You, they say you can't go home and maybe you can't, but you can visit once in a while. Sure. And it's maybe it's not the same thing, but it, this is a big part of my life. Um, it, it's always going to be a big part of my life. And I like talking about it. I still have too many CSI t-shirts, but um, it's also actually almost my whole wardrobe, mm-hmm. but you know what? Um, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that because again, this is, uh, there are people here that I still look forward to seeing and talking to. And, you know, Tony, it's not, you know, since you've, since you've stepped away, obviously, you know, we've missed having you, you've obviously missed it here, but it's opened you up to obviously spending a lot more time with your daughter and with your family. And, you know, that, that has to be a welcome break sometimes too, as, as someone who has, uh, you know, two daughters a little bit older than yours, you know, it's, it's really it's its own it's its own career trying to manage their their livelihoods and, and getting them to their day to days as well. What's kind of been that break like for you to to be able to spend a lot more time with your family to take off a little bit from basketball? What have been the positives there? Well, that's that is the positive of not being here. Um, I spend a ton of time with my daughter. Um, obviously, my wife also. I don't mean to, but. My my wife, I could she could work her schedule around. I could my daughter's schedule is her schedule. It's actually more right. more fixed mm-hmm. than the parents. Mm-hmm. It's it's crazy. But um, to be able to spend time with her, to f- 
to find, help her find happiness in whatever it is that she's doing. Uh, I'm very fortunate because my Alexa is a very happy child as long as she's getting what she wants. <laughs> um, so, which is a very, which is a positive. Um, yesterday, actually, we went to her first basketball practice. And I think the thing that was most interesting to me and most aggravating to my wife is I'd say seven of the nine instructors that were there were kids that I've either recruited mm-hmm. or played for me or I became friendly with. So I, I still have ties, but I tried to explain to my wife as I stay removed from away from CSI, the less that's going to happen because mm-hmm. obviously people move on to other other venues. Sure. And is that something that, that you – you know, continue to, to look for is perhaps another, you know, opportunity if the situation's right. I remember you, you are speaking offline and saying, you know, it'd have to be the right, you know, yeah. kind of uh, circumstances, you, you know, uh, but, but what are you looking for? I, I do want to return to coaching. I do. I do. And you know what? I do want to return to college coaching. The only thing is because of, uh, because of obviously a young, a young child and because of, I know the time limits that are involved, and also the inability to really um, lo- relocate and stuff like that. It has to be the right situation for me. And I, I've explained that. And there aren't many situations here that would work for me. Um, I have to be okay with that because it's the best thing for my family. But, you know, things change. And maybe a year from now, five years from now, who knows? Maybe when I'm 80 years old, <laughs> I'll have a different attitude. Right. Um, and it, you know what, what I want today might not be the same thing as what I want tomorrow. So I'm open to those things. But the big thing for me is to try to be around my daughter as much as possible. And hopefully she stays with basketball a little bit because it's like the only sport I really know anything about. <laughs> <laughs> well, it makes it makes a whole lot of sense, Tony. Well, listen, we, you know, we've gone well over what our allotted time with you was, but I think it was a in, in incredible conversation. I know it could go on for hours and hours and I'd love an opportunity to sit down with you again, maybe later this year or even next year to talk a little bit more X's and O's and, and basketball here at, at CSI and, and elsewhere. I'm sure, you know, Joe is a huge, uh, you know, NBA fan. So I'm sure he'd love to get your perspective on our local teams, especially oh the Knicks yeah. and how to fix the Knicks. But, <laughs> um, but no, this has been just a tremendous uh, no. opportunity to, to talk to you, Tony, and you're always welcome and always a part of our Dolphins. Uh, I appreciate you guys having me and it's always a pleasure to come back and, and you know what? Um, every day I come here, I, I see somebody I, I miss and it, that's a good thing. Excellent. Well, uh, Tony, once again, thank you for for being on the Dolphin Pod. What Joe and I will do is step aside, take a break. When we come back, we will uh, tidy up this edition of the Dolphin Pod right here on CSIDolphins.com. Stay with us. You're listening to the Dolphin Pod right here on CSIDolphins.com. In NCAA Division II, student-athletes leave a lasting impression on their communities. That's because Division II student-athletes want to make a difference and truly be part of their surrounding communities. Through community engagement, thousands of student-athletes from various backgrounds interact with community members who view them as role models. This interaction leaves a positive and perhaps even life-changing impression on all those involved. In Division II, we rise to the opportunity and make community engagement ours. Welcome back to the Dolphin Pod right here on CSIDolphins.com. Joe Foreman and Dave Pizzuto back here on the Dolphin Pod, and you just listened to our conversation with former CSI Dolphins men's basketball head coach Tony Patoza. Dave, 
that conversation, another great one, but for the first time, I'd say a bit of an emotional conversation as well. Oh, definitely. I mean, anytime, anytime we talk about 9-11, obviously, and what happened during those days, it brings back, it brings back some, um, some tough memories for sure, but also uh, incredible memories of, you know, coming together and, um, you know, kind of being, you know, solidified in our approach. And every time I think about the tournament here, I always think about that first dedication ceremony that we did just three or four months after what happened and uh, the Im incredible amount of work that Tony put in and then using that night to kind of catapult this tournament further. Uh, it's so great to kind of hear it straight from Tony about what the day and the tournament means to him. And of course, looking back on his very storied playing and coaching career was just a phenomenal conversation. And one, Joe, I know we kept looking down at the clock, but, you know, we, you know, this conversation could have went an hour, two or three. And I think uh, it would have been riveting every every minute of it. No doubt about that. And as I said before, I began working the tournament in, I believe, 2016, in December of 2016. And I remember not just how much the tournament meant to the community and the attendees here at the College of Staten Island in terms of emotional impact and remembrance of our three fallen heroes, but also in terms terms of basketball, as you referenced before, great teams coming in. One of those games, I believe, had well over a thousand viewers after only a couple of days of being live on CSI Sportsnet through YouTube. So some great basketball as well. And I've been lucky enough to see the Dolphins win the tournament as well. I think that was last year against Tufts. That was last year's tournament. The Dolphins able to pick up the victory in that one. And what was a very entertaining game, 98-94. So you certainly missed out if you didn't catch that game here at the tank. But the atmosphere, excellent. The basketball, excellent. Plenty to look forward to in the tournament of heroes. Yeah. And if you take a look at the three teams that are visiting us uh, you know, next weekend, it'll be Wheaton College. Wheaton's always one of the uh, national powers. Uh, every year they seem to be in the national championship conversation. Uh, Bridgewater College, uh, Curry College will also be, um, you know, will also be on hand as well. And, you know, we're not too sure, Joe, if we're even going to have a podcast next week because Friday's the tip off to that tournament. Obviously, we'd love to sneak one in. Uh, and if we do, uh, obviously, we'll we'll have more information on it. But um, really, this interview kind of ushers the tournament in and showcases what should be a really dynamic weekend here at CSI. Definitely. And as I said, I'm looking forward to it a great deal. We will see if we have a podcast next week. We'll keep you posted on that. Tune in to CSIDolphins.com. Usually every Friday for the latest information on the Dolphin Pod, we try to launch around 12 p.m. We had a special podcast on Monday of this week with Gavin Inkster rather than last Friday. But if you are listening to this live, this is Friday, one week out from the Tournament of Heroes, December 20th. And this has been the Dolphin Pod. Joe Foreman and Dave Pizzuto joining you today. Be sure to tune in next time for another distinguished guest in the second half of our show. Until then, thank you for listening and we'll hear you next time. You've been listening to The Dolphin Pod. Remember to check us out next week when we bring you a brand new show and check out our archive broadcast throughout the year. If you have questions, comments, would like to be booked on the show, or have an idea for a show guest, be sure to leave us feedback, as well as catch all of our shows right here at CSIDolphins.com backslash podcasts. From all of us here at the College of Staten Island, thank you for listening to The Dolphin Pod.